Hi everyone, Pastor Dave here, and it's great to see you for week three of our series through the book of Habakkuk that we are calling Seriously God. And again, we're looking at the book of Habakkuk right now. We decided to study this book because it's a book that teaches us how to face difficult times in the world around us. It's a book about living in this fallen and broken world where we live, um, where not only people are evil, and corrupt and broken, but entire cultures and entire nations can be corrupt and unjust as well. So Habakkuk is written as someone who does not like what they see in the world around them. And this little book is a dialogue between Habakkuk and the Lord. In week one, God told Habakkuk that he did in fact see the injustice of Israel and that he was sending the Babylonians to conquer them, to take care of them, to correct them. In week two, Habakkuk responds to God and he says, God, that makes no sense to me because they're even more evil than we are. And now we're in week three. And in week three, God tells Habakkuk, that he does see Babylon's evil and that he will, in fact, bring them down. He's going to use this corrupt nation, but he will also judge this corrupt nation. In fact, God sees their evil very clearly, and he tells Habakkuk that their evil will be their ruin. In our passage this week, God is going to actually deconstruct the Babylonian culture the evil and injustice that he sees in them through a series of woes. And friends, before we go any farther, it's important for us to understand, because this word woe is not a word we use very often, but it's a really big word in the scripture. It's a serious word. And when God says woe to you, you'd better watch out. You'd better listen up because he means serious business. This is not a casual warning. This is a serious rebuke. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a serious rebuke before in your life. If you've ever been rebuked by someone for something you've done or said, this happened to me a number of times. One time in particular that comes to mind, we had just moved here to Oregon. I just come to be the pastor at Cedar Mill Bible Church. And I was getting to know the church and the campus and, and getting to know the people. And one of the things I discovered was that Above our worship center, if you remember what our worship center is like, because it's been a long time since we've been here, unfortunately, but once you're back, you'll notice this. Above our worship center is a series of catwalks, and there's these catwalks up there that kind of hold the lights and some of the sound equipment, and you can walk up there and adjust things, and you climb up these really tall ladders back here behind behind the platform, and you can go way up into the rafters of our church, and it's really cool up there. It's really high up, and it's kind of neat, and I like adventure and I like to do fun things with my kids. And so I took my kids up there. Well, my kids thought this was amazing. And so they would sometimes go up there without permission and they would even start to bring their friends. And then, and then one of the elders and Pastor Ted Burnick discovered that this was happening. And they also discovered that I was allowing it. And then they came to me and I received a stern Rebuke, And I don't know if you've ever had a stern rebuke from, from Pastor Ted or not. If you, if you haven't, you don't want one. Pastor Ted, he seems really nice and he's kind of small, but he can be scary and he can be tough. You don't want a stern rebuke from Pastor Ted. You also don't want a stern rebuke from the Lord. And that's what we read today. A woe says this. A woe says... 
If you don't repent of your sin and turn from the evil and injustice you are doing, then what you are sowing, you are reaping. What you are sending, you will soon be receiving. What goes around comes around. And in this passage, God is woeing the Babylonians. But he's not just woeing the Babylonians. In this passage, God is warning any people, any nation, any leader that practices evil without regard for God's word, God's world, and God's righteousness. I'll say that again. In this passage, God is warning any people or nation or leader that practices evil without regard for God's word, God's world, and God's righteousness. Five times it happens. Five times in this section, God says, woe to him. And scholars say that that God is speaking directly here to the Babylonian ruler as a way of addressing the entire empire, as a way of, of rebuking and warning the entire culture that he represents. And so today, friends, today is not going to be a fun day. Today is not a tickle your ears and make you feel warm and fuzzy sermon. That story I told about Pastor Ted, that was the high point in terms of fun and laughs. And if you didn't think that was funny, well, it's all downhill from there. But today is a day where we'd better listen up. We'd better pay attention and consider together where God is calling us to turn from our sin and walk in a different direction. Here's how we'll break it down. Today we're going to talk about the seen evil, the hidden problem, and the marvelous solution. The seen evil, the hidden problem, and the marvelous solution. Here we go. First of all, the seen evil. Woe to him, this is verse 6. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Friends, this first woe is about building wealth at the expense of other people. It's about taking advantage of people who are less powerful and privileged so that we can make a buck, so that we can get rich. You'll notice in this passage right away, the word extortion is used. And and we think of extortion as, you know, I find out something about you and unless you pay me, then I'm going to tell your boss or your spouse or I'm going to post it on the internet. We think of that as extortion. But extortion is really just about leverage. It's about leveraging something you have over someone else. I leverage you to get something that I want from you. And the Babylonians, here's what they had military leverage. So they would use that and they would demand that the nations that they had conquered would pay exorbitant taxes to the king. In other words, the Babylonian empire was getting rich on the backs of all the poorer nations around them. And this does not please the Lord. And so friends, the first question for us, for you and me today is how are we gaining our wealth? Are we treating others fairly and honestly and with dignity? Or are we using the disadvantaged as a means for our own personal gain? 
Because here's the deal, friends. God says the day is coming when those you have taken from and taken advantage of will rise up and demand payment back. Friends, we might call it cheap labor, but God says this is not how people should treat other people. This is how, not how nations should treat other nations. And those nations are taking stock and someday they will rise up. Someday they will revolt. Someday what goes around comes around. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. Again, this is a warning. You will reap what you sow. Verse 9. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. The second woe is about security and the analogy here is a simple one. It's one of a bird who to find safety builds their nest as high up in the branches of a tree as they possibly can. And friends, the Babylonians were like these birds. They thought if they conquered and enslaved more of their enemies and took more and more of their goods, then, then they would be safe. Then they would be successful. Then nothing bad could happen to them. If they had a lot, then they would be protected from the things of this world. If they had all the toys of this world, then they would win. If I get all the toys, then I win. Then I'm a success. Then I am somebody. Does that sound like a culture you know? Friends, in our world, this is the attitude and belief that if I'm successful then I'll really be somebody. If I have enough, I'll be okay. And I'll have security and inner peace. If I only have more. And friends, because these beliefs are so deeply woven into us, because they are so, so strong, people will often do whatever it takes to acquire that wealth, to gain that peace, to gain that security. They'll do whatever it takes. But here, God says, if that's your attitude, if that's the way you live your life, woe to you. Woe to you because that house, that fortune you built through unjust means will not just be your praise, it will be your shame, he says. In fact, the very building materials you unjustly acquired will turn, will turn and testify against you. The wealth you have that you're so proud of, that you've worked so hard for, it will actually turn on you and it will testify against you. The message says it this way. The bricks of your house will speak up and accuse you. The woodwork will step forward with evidence. It's like your life is on trial and now all this stuff that you've acquired is testifying against your very life. Woe three. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed, establishes a town by injustice. Friends, this is nothing short of slave 
labor, unjust labor. And the Babylonians often did this. This is, was a common practice for them. They would force the conquered peoples or nations, the, the, the nations and peoples that they conquered, to work for them as slaves to build their empire. They took advantage of these other ethnic groups in order to elevate their own standard of living. They grew and profited and became powerful through the unjust treatment of other races. Now, I think those issues hit pretty close to home for you and me in our world today, don't they? And friends, the message here, the message here again is from God is repent. Repent, turn the other way, right your wrongs because God says all that unjust labor, treating people as less than fully human. When you do that, it's just like stacking up the firewood for your own judgment. You see, God, God takes these things seriously. He's very, very concerned about them. And so should we be. Next woe, verse 15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Friends, this woe is about immorality, about being immoral stewards of what God has given to you and me, to us. Friends, this is how the Babylonians lived. They were, they were immoral stewards of all they had been given. They lived like life and all of this world was just given to them for their pleasure and their consumption. They had no regard for it. They were known for engaging and celebrating embarrassing sexual acts, and they weren't embarrassed about this at all. They were known for using land and animals without any regard for nature. Verse 17 says, the violence you have done to Lebanon. Now, what was Lebanon known for? Lebanon was known for its cedar trees, right? Its forests. This is God sort of hearkening back to Genesis 1, dominion theology. You see, it turns out that God hearts Oregon too. He loves trees just like we do. He loves nature and he has not given us this world to rape and pillage, but to, but to steward and to care for. That's our charge. That's our calling. And friends, likewise, in these verses, we're told that God has not given us our bodies to abuse and degrade with sex and with drugs. You see, again, this woe says, treat your body and this world like the gift from God that it is. And if not, if not, you will reap what you sow. If not, the cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you. Friends, that's the cup of judgment. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Verse 18, of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it 
trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. It's empty, it's lifeless, it's dead, God says. And friends, these last two verses are where we start to make a shift towards the bigger picture, to the hidden problem. You see, the first four woes we talked about, um, we talked about the kind of evil that we can see in the world. We kind of talked about the corruption and the devastation and the perversion and the depravity that we see all around us in different people and in different cultures. But this last woe, this last woe speaks about where all that comes from. And the word I would use to summarize it is the word idolatry, idolatry. You see, friends, here's what the scripture tells us. Every single one of us is a continual, unceasing, passionate worshiper. We were made to be worshipers. We're all of us, every single one of us, worshipers. And this, this means not that we're singing all the time, not that we walk around like whistling the songs that Pastor James sings for us. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that we are all living for something. It means that we're always giving our lives and our very selves for something. It means that we're always pursuing something that if we only had it, it would bring contentment and peace and joy to us. That's what worship is. Pursuing that thing, looking to that thing that we long for and that we need and that we want above all other things. And so the question, friends, isn't are you worshiping? The question is who or what? Are you worshiping? And idolatry, what's talked about here in this woe, idolatry is worshiping anything other than God. Sometimes we think of idolatry as a statue or a carving or something made out of gold or silver or wood. No, that can be true, but idolatry is something so much more than that. It's worshiping anything other than God. Idolatry is looking to someone or something in this world to give you identity meaning, purpose, security, or satisfaction. Tim Keller talks about an interview that Madonna did with Vanity Fair in the late 1980s, where she said, because of how she grew up, because of her childhood, she never really felt like she was anybody. She felt like a nobody. She never felt like there was anything special about her. But she said, when I started to achieve celebrity and fame and accomplishment, then I began to feel like someone. And every time there would be a new level of celebrity, I would feel a new level of specialness for a brief amount of time. And then it would go away and then I'd have to reach for it again. This is what Madonna said very openly and candidly in this interview. And it begs this question, why was Madonna so Driven. She was one of the most driven artists of that generation. Why was she so driven? Why was she so motivated? Why did she have this insatiable pursuit for celebrity and fame? I'll tell you why. Because it was her idol. She had to have it to be someone. She looked to it for meaning and purpose and security and satisfaction in her life. It was her idol. She had to have it. Now, friends, 
The problem with idols is this. All too often, because we need them, because we want them so much, we'll do anything to get them. We'll risk anything to have them. We'll even walk over, walk all over whoever we have to walk all over to achieve them, to grasp them, to gain them. That's the problem with idols. And that's the problem with the Babylonians. If you look a layer deeper, this is exactly what they're doing. They thought that power and wealth and pleasure and prestige would bring them happiness, would make them someone, would give them security and fulfillment. And so what did they do? Whatever they had to, to achieve those things. Even if it meant using, abusing, and destroying other people, they would do whatever they needed to do to get their idol. You see, when I'm in pursuit of that thing that I think makes me me, makes me significant, gives me peace and meaning and security, I'll do whatever I have to to get there. Friends, this is why behind every evil, corrupt, depraved injustice in this world or in your life is an idol. I promise you it's true. There's something you want. There's something you need. There's something we're worshiping behind every single evil act. So let me ask you a couple of questions today. One, got any idols in your life? Got any idols in your life? Got any things or any ones that are pushing you forward, that are driving your life and behavior, that are causing you to compromise your allegiance to God and who he has called you to be and how he has called you to live in this world? Got any idols? And again, if you're having trouble coming up with one, if you can't name one, if you can't think of one, if you can't come up with one or two or four or 12, let me give you a clue. Look where there's sin. Look at the places in your life where you are compromising your integrity or you're not fully selling out to follow Jesus. Because if you look under those rocks, I promise you, you will find an idol. Something you believe will give you security or meaning or purpose or satisfaction. And friends, if this passage was written to individuals, that question would be enough. But it's not. This passage is not written to individuals. It's written to Babylon. It's written to an empire. It's written to an entire idolatrous culture. And so the second question is perhaps the most important question. And here it is. What idols are driving and leading us? Not just you, but us. What idols are alive and well in our culture? What is motivating us as 21st century Americans to, like the Babylonians, take advantage of people around us and compromise our biblical allegiance to Jesus for pleasure or wealth or convenience or power? What are our idols? And again, if you need a clue, just look where there's sin and injustice and corruption and depravity in our culture because behind those things, underneath those rocks, you will find an idol. I promise. The hidden problem is idolatry. And last but not least, the marvelous solution. 
You may have noticed that in the middle of these woes, there are two verses of hope. There's all this, this gloom and doom talk. There's judgment and wrath and bloodshed. And then all of a sudden, verses 14 and 20, there are these little flashes of light in the darkness. These little reminders of the hope that we have. Verse 20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Right in the middle of all this stuff just says that. And friends, this is just a reminder that no matter how bad things are, no matter how crazy and chaotic and corrupt everything gets, God is still in charge. He is sovereign. He is still in his temple and he is on his throne. And everything in this world will work out according to his plans. God is just saying in the midst of all this stuff, never forget that. Justice will not rule and evil will be dealt with. But the first glimmer of hope is actually back in verse 14. That's verse 20, but now we go back to verse 14. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Again, gloom, doom, darkness, evil, corruption. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, friends, what the Babylonians were looking for when they were practicing idolatry is they were looking for glory. They were pursuing glory. And glory is a word that's about weight and it's about significance. See, the Babylonians, as they're searching for all this stuff in the world, they're, for, they're searching for something that's weighty enough to give their lives meaning. And like us, they thought they could find it in riches and power and pleasure and world domination. That's what they thought was weighty enough to give their lives meaning and significance, but it's not. Friends, the scriptures tell us oh so clearly time and time and time again that every single idol in this world will ultimately fail you. They don't have enough glory. They don't have enough lasting significance. They do not have enough weight to balance your heart and satisfy your soul because the only glory that can really and truly satisfy you for the long haul is the beauty of God. The honor of God, the, the applause of God, the love of God is the only thing with enough weight and significance to balance your life and steady your existence. The worship of the King of Kings is what your heart is longing for. And what does verse 14 say? Someday, someday the glory of God will cover the earth. Someday the ruthless pursuit of idols will be done. Someday all of humanity and creation will worship God again. Someday. But, but if you are a follower of Jesus, that worship, that Glory does not just have to be someday. It's available to you now. Verse 20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. He's there right now. And friends, having the, the weightiness and significance of worshiping God can be yours today. You don't need those idols He's available to you. God, through the sacrifice of his son, says you can be adopted as his child. That can be your identity. That can be your security. 
to be a son or daughter of the king, that can be your pleasure and peace and satisfaction. And so you no longer need to recklessly pursue other things and go after other idols in this world. And because you no longer need those things, you don't need to walk over other people to get them. And if you can't get them, you don't need to push other people aside. Why? Because you have all that you need in Christ. And that is the marvelous solution. Friends, this is why Christians should care less about wealth and power and success and fame and pleasure and prestige than anyone else because we don't need them. Because we've got all the weight, all the glory, all the significance we need in God himself and a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, and his death and resurrection on the cross that has made us right and righteous and holy and adopted. Friends, because we don't need those other things to make us somebody, we can be satisfied in who we are, sons and daughters of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And that will guide our actions in this world, actions of righteousness and justice and hope and peace in a world that is recklessly pursuing idols and stepping over people to get them. That's our calling. That's our promise. That's the marvelous solution that's been offered to you and me. And so we do not have to be like the Babylonians. We do not have to have their fate. If we heed the Lord, if we turn to him, if we set aside our idols and we worship and receive the glory and weight of God. Amen, friends. God bless you and have a great week.